Welcome, everybody, to the First Impressions podcast. Um, I am Kristen. I am joined by Maggie. We're your First Hi. Impressions podcasters. And we are very honored today to be joined by one of our biggest fans, Bethany we have fans. C. Yes, we have fans, if you can believe it. Uh, Bethany, we actually have two big, uh, big fans named Bethany. Strangely enough, we are huge with the Bethany demographic. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I'll just, I'll just say if it's okay with you, Bethany. Bethany, this is Bethany C. Yeah, um, that's fine. If, and um, we are really happy to have you. So apparently, the Venn diagram of Jane Austen fans and people named Bethany has quite a lot of <laughs> large middle section. <laughs> That's hilarious because so it's not a common name. No, mm. not. I think I've only known one other Bethany in my whole life. I, I think know. you guys are the first people I've known who are named Bethany. It's an excellent name. It is a, der- a derivation of Elizabeth, and of course, Elizabeth Bennett is our hero. So I, um, I applaud the name Bethany and all <laughs> Beth-related names. <laughs> I'll um, take it. <laughs> so Kristen, why do we have a special guest on the show tonight? We have a special guest um, because it is the the one year anniversary actually of uh, going live with the First Impressions podcast. And, oh my god! Um, party yay. celebrating! We're one year old. I can't believe I survived this long. <laughs> Everybody's like, "Have they finally died?" <laughs> I thought they wandered off the cliff, or as they said, darted into traffic. <laughs> Um, and and I think we had said publicly, although I'm not sure that we wanted to have a guest. And um, Bethany uh, volunteered as tribute, and um, yes. <laughs> which was what amazing. she doesn't know is at the end of this episode, we're erecting a huge Wicker Man style <laughs> uh, concert, and we're going to put her in it and light it on fire and sacrifice <laughs> her to our goddess Jane Austen. <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. I've got some poison berries right here. Like I'm happy. <laughs> Um, and we are also really blessed to have Bethany on the show this time because she has done um, all the work. Uh, she has done a tremendous amount of research on today's topic, which is Regency fashion. So we're sort of detouring from the uh, the text. I think everybody probably realizes that we only have one book left to go and uh, perhaps are <laughs> stringing things out a little bit. Actually, Kristen, we have two. Oh, because, because we, we have not talked about persuasion, and we haven't actually discussed the text of Pride and Prejudice. Prejudice in terms of the novel. That's true. And then we can go through and watch the 1995 Pride and Prejudice movie and talk about each episode. So we could do six, yeah. six podcast episodes. And then we'll one. just reread all the books. <laughs> yeah. I have and no problem with we that. Can read, we can read the fan fiction sequels. Mm-hmm. I was just going to say you've got... You've got Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. You've got Death Comes to Pemberley. Like, you got yeah. lots of material. Oh, we'll have to do another um, movie commentary for Pride and Prejudice with zo- and Zombies. <laughs> because that would just be amazing. Okay, sorry. We should get back on track. So, Bethany is joining us. She suggested this topic. She did all the research. We just have to show up and try to sound like we know what we're talking about. Yeah. Okay, getting back on track. Um, <laughs> how are we actually going to intro this topic? So, um, Bethany, you, you should explain that you um, – I, so I won't talk over you, but um, you had written to us and said something about Persuasions, the online publication. Yeah, so um, the Jane Austen Society of North America has this 
really great online publication called Persuasions Online. And I am a librarian, so I was doing um, a uh, research guide for the Jane Austen class happening in the university that I work at. And I discovered Persuasions Online and I got kind of obsessed with reading all the articles. And there were some really, really interesting ones about um, fashion in the books, which I didn't really think about because Jane doesn't really talk about it. Um, but that made it really interesting. So then I got kind of into it. So um, I was first, if you guys don't mind, going to explain something about the Regency clothing of the time. We sort of see it in movies, but I thought it was really interesting to go in it in detail because I'm a detail-oriented nerd. So <laughs> I was going to um, do that if I can. Yeah, please. Yeah, go for it. Okay, so um, it's pretty interesting because you can see the Regency clothing is sort of very slim, very simple. Um, but if you think of only 50 years before, uh, it was Marie Antoinette's kind of clothing with the huge her hoops. You couldn't get through the doors and the huge hair with like a boat in it. <laughs> there is a shocking lack of boats in our <laughs> hair fashion these days. What? I mean, you all know how much I love hats, but I mean, I really think that people need to devote themselves to the boat side. Definitely. Fashion. Yeah, um, but it was all a show of wealth, right? The more fabric mm -hmm. in your dress, the crazier your hair, the more money you had. And then the French Revolution happened. <laughs> and uh, nobody wanted to be seen being wealthy. Right. So, so everything trimmed down more to basically what used to be underwear. It's very like slim. It's called a chemise, like a like a slip. Is that um, how you pronounce that? I think so. So I've only really read that word. So I thought it was chemise. Yeah. <laughs> I think I think it's pronounced chemise. No, I'm sure that you're correct. I'm always coming across words that I just know from reading and have not actually said, and then I pronounce them wrong and embarrass myself. <laughs> yeah, me too. That was the book word for me too. <laughs> I was always the word sleuth. From Nancy Drew days. I always wanted yes. to say slayoth. <laughs> <laughs> I think I embarrassed myself one time by saying banal instead oh, of banal. banal. <laughs> <laughs> for, that, just for that word, just think of what is the most like sn smug, annoying <laughs> way I can smoothie. It's so banal, Kristen. <laughs> Gotta have a draw anyway. to it. Um, anyway, so that was one influence on it. The other was that they discovered Pompeii around this time and everyone got super obsessed with Greek statues. And, oh, interesting. Um, Greek statues, I mean, in the Greek days they were painted, but they didn't know that all the right. paints had worn off. So they were just marble. So there were these beautiful ladies in complete white marble in these very slim fitting dresses. So those right. were the two influences. That's um, fascinating about the Pompeii connection. Yeah, they got kind of obsessed with Greek and Roman looks and being much more natural looking, less artificial. Um, so they started developing the high waist of the, the Regency dresses and it kind of looked like a long nightgown. And then they had a whalebone corset over that um, that like pushed everything kind of up, mm -hmm. <laughs> lift and separate. Yeah. <laughs> So, Bethany, is it fair to say that um, when you say they, that these fashions started in France and then made their way to Britain? Yeah. Yeah, started in warmer countries. This 
might come up right. later, started in warmer countries, came over to England where it's quite cold and wet, and that was kind of an issue. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, young girls wore corsets practically from when they could stand. Oh, and God. actually little boys did too. Huh. Yeah. Okay, little, well, little, little boys and little girls were dressed the same until they were like five. Oh yeah, I think I've I think yeah. I've heard things. Yeah, about. had like long ringlet hair. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> is that a boy or a girl in that picture? Yeah, and then the from that era, it's, everybody is always shocked, like to realize it's a little boy. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> so, fun. so these corsets were supposed to keep them in an upright posture because they were supposed to look like uh, Greek columns, sort of long and thin. Interesting. So, so they've got this like nightgown on, and then a corset. And then they have a petticoat, like an underdress. And then they have the dress on top of that. And then the gown could be sort of cut away to see the petticoat. You could have a matching petticoat. So it wasn't a big deal if your petticoat showed. Mm. Um, and the, most of the dresses were made of something called muslin, which was a cotton fabric. It was very light and it draped really nicely. But having been developed in France and made the style and made in India, this cotton was mm. very thin and not so good when you live in England where it's cold and wet. <laughs> yeah. so, Kristen, how much do you think this muslin costs per yard? <laughs> <laughs> Only 10 shillings a yard. The true Indian muslin. I'm sorry. True Indian muslin. Oh That's right. Oh my God. We can, I, I think we can I think all you mean be... Native American muslin. Oh, wait. No, you actually mean Indian. right so because it's freezing in england they wore these huge shawls everyone's obsessed with these india shawls which actually make a appearance in uh, mansfield park as well when um william i'm not not to digress too much but there's totally a reference to uh, Lady Bertram wanting an India shawl when Fanny Price's brother goes to India and she can't stop talking about it. She's like, I think mm-hmm. I will have two shawls. <laughs> so, um, yeah, she's super so into it. is an Indian shawl, is that um, compar- comparable to like a pashmina or are we talking something that's much larger? Yes, um, it's kind of. I can picture it. Yeah, so it's a pashmina basically. Oh, okay. Well, um, yeah, those are great. I would want one too. Yeah. So, but they. Um, started being produced in Paisley, Scotland, because it was cheaper. And then that's where we get that, like, Paisley pattern. Oh. Oh. Thanks, cool. Scotland. <laughs> God. <laughs> so they could also wear Spencers, which were, like, short jackets that ended at their waist. And Those then, things are so cute. I know, right? They should come back. And, <laughs> and then polices, which were, like, long coats that followed the same empire style as the gowns. They're, they have a lot of those in the 1995 Pride and Prejudice, yeah, which I think are very cute as well, but probably not as flattering. Yeah, I'm picturing Elizabeth Bennett in a particular, like, orangey-colored Spencer, yeah. that, like, iconic Elizabeth. Yes. That she's wearing when uh, he proposes to her, the orange. Yeah, one. yeah, that's right. right. Yeah, so they wore gloves in all weather, winter and summer. Uh, they also wore hats, bonnets, caps, and boots. Or if you were dancing, you wore slippers. Um, now, um, with regard to the uh, gloves, was there any particular like moral reason they had to keep their hands covered, or was that practical? Um, I think it was partly that they didn't want their skin to ever see sunlight. Oh, <laughs> like you just 
to be to be brown like Elizabeth Bennett is at the end of the summer was like lower class because you could you had to work in the sun and yeah. if you were rich you and could it's just yourself white and it's just another thing another accessory that you have to pay for you have to be able to afford yeah um, gloves are nice gloves are very difficult to make well um, so I think it's just another indication that you don't work with your hands mm-hmm well, and God forbid you touch a man's skin. <laughs> that was just shocking. shocking. Well, they are covered with lice and cooties. <laughs> yeah. Gross. So gross. No, I mean, I mean now. <laughs> yes, cooties, yes. Very true. Now, they, they, they wore gloves out of doors, but not inside, right? Like you wouldn't wear them when you were eating dinner, not like the opera. Unless you were at a party. Oh, okay. When you were at home, you wouldn't. Mm. But if you were at a dance, you would. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, that makes sense. So like opera length gloves. Yeah. Speaking of white and white skin, um, white yes. was a no. symbol. <laughs> white was a symbol of purity, so it was worn um, by young girls and unmarried women. And then once you were married, you could wear darker colors because you were more mature. Ooh. Oh, that's interesting. Um, but white was very, very elegant. Um, so uh, in Northanger Abbey, Eleanor Tilney only wears white. So she's she's a very elegant lady. She only wears white, but as you can imagine, when they didn't have washing machines, wearing white was like a huge logistical problem because it was super hard to keep clean. So the more white you wore, the richer you were because you could afford mm. to change every time you spilled something on yourself, which for me would be all the time. <laughs> you know, I'm really Bethany. I'm really glad that you're mentioning that because this is one of those things that. Um, at least in movie adaptations, I think that if, you know, if you had a TARDIS and you went back in time, I think you would find really shocking if you were only familiar with this period based on what we saw on television. Mm-hmm. Um, I bet people were just really filthy. Yeah. Um, you know, like we don't think about it, but they must have just been really dirty and things probably just didn't stay white for long. No, they didn't. I don't know if you guys have read uh, the book Longborn. Um, I think the Joe Baker, I think it's by. Anyway, a lot of that book is taken up with like, there are six women in the Bennett family and it is super hard to keep everything clean. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I can't go through the day without dropping food on my shelf and my boobs aren't like shoved up. (laughs) Your shelf. (laughs) What? The shelf. (laughs) I knew what you meant, but that's really fun. Like I, that's not a way people normally say it. So it was really funny. Yeah. yeah. What are you talking about? Everyone I know who has big boobs refers to it as the shelf. Come on. <laughs> the shelf. Um, but my Wait, point I, is like, and I have, you know, a Tide stain pen and I have bleach. <laughs> I can't even imagine what you would do if you had to like fling your dress against a rock to try to get it clean. Yeah. Well, I have to ask about that actually too, because the other thing I was going to ask about is in the adaptations, we always see the very, very low bust line. Um, with everybody's, you know, shelf looking good, <laughs> hanging out. And I was wondering if that was the total like symbol of the patriarchy, like, or what? <laughs> or uh, what was that the symbol feel? of the patriarchy? <laughs> it was mostly okay to have that in the evening. I mean, oh, yeah. <laughs> empire waist dresses don't give you much of a figure. You've kind of, kind of got to 
show what you have. Um, but during the day, everything would be sort of tucked in. You could have these little, little scarves. Like, it out and pulling it out on the table at night for a wrist game. <laughs> you got to attract a rich husband. Come on. Oh, Get I would be so, no, I would look indecent, honestly. <laughs> I actually own one of those lace-up bodices, like from the um, the Renaissance Festival. Um, but if I wear it and I do it tightly, and I can't imagine what it would be like with an empire waist dress, it's it's like indecent looking. Yeah. Well, Maggie and I, when we were in Bath uh, together, we went to a a, um, a, a um, what am I trying to say? A fashion museum. I was talking about Regency fashion. I think it was underneath the lower assembly rooms that you can still go visit. And um, anyway, there was a there was a part of the museum where it was hands on, and Maggie put a corset on Ooh. me, and we were we were playing around with it. She was like, "Yeah, it was you, me, and Rachel, and our friend Rachel who joined us, and we all put on the the corsets." Um, and Maggie laced me up, and within probably 15 seconds, I thought I was going to pass out. I was like, "Get it off me! Get it off me!" Like I was so dizzy, I could barely breathe. And it didn't even feel that constrictive at first. And so I just can't imagine. I mean, I know that they got used to it. And actually, their ribs sort of deformed from the corset mm. if you wore them long enough throughout your life and everything. But um, I can't even imagine. Yeah, I wonder but, if it's too late to deform my rib cage. <laughs> it was For those extra, like, couple inches on my waist. It was exactly the, like, tight lacing that happens like 50 years later where you've got the like Victorian oh, yeah. thing where they want an hourglass. Oh, okay. They didn't do it quite as tight to no. like shut the liver. They were, they were the more interested in looking like straight down from the bus oh, down. Oh, interesting. Because of the car. Hmm. But, but yeah, like all the fainting and stuff <laughs> and like Fanny Price gets tired all the time. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Maybe you don't think about that. Like, breathe. yeah, that's a good point. Maybe it's not because she's just a total like lame <laughs> because she actually can't breathe. It's like, in, what is it? Pirates of the Caribbean, where yeah. um, Kira Knightley's character is like, I can't breathe because she's wearing this too tight corset. Uh-huh. That was the reality. Oh, that was. That's why you carried little smelling salts around with you so that you could like revive oh. yourself. Right, right. About um, married women, you had mentioned they could wear bold colors. Do they also wear those little white? mesh or, or gauze um, things on their heads inside. Once you get married, you buy your wedding clothes and you have those gauze things that you wear. The, the, the lacy cap? Yeah. yeah. Uh, that was like a thing that just older women in general wore. So there's a letter Jane writes, Jane Austen writes to her sister Cassandra where she talks about making herself one of those lacy caps. Hmm. And it was just a thing you wore on your head, for, probably for logistical reasons, like it's cold inside. Oh. <laughs> the yeah. only heating you have is from a fire, so it's like super cold. I did notice that, um, and I, of course, I know all about Regency fashion from the movies, so I know wrong <laughs> yeah. things. I definitely know wrong things, but um, sometimes during the day, they wear like gauze things to cover up the boobs. Yeah. And then they just take them off at night. Yeah, so that you were not supposed to show your cleavage before a certain hour of the day. <laughs> and then when it's you were five in... o'clock somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> and then when you when you go into evening wear, that's when you can be a little bit more 
daring. I just picture myself like whipping off the little cotton square and being like, all right, boys. Four fifty nine and five. <laughs> Three hearts. Damn. Throw your cards down on the table. That's right. So <laughs> So anyway, we're talking about uh, white. I'd have been burned as a witch, y'all, for real. They would have been like, nope. (laughs) No, man. Mary Crawford gets away with a lot. You'd be fine. That's true. I mean, is that where the bar is set? Is it Mary Crawford? (laughs) (laughs) She's great. So anyway, we're talking about um, white dresses. So you, you had to keep changing your clothes all the time because a stained dress was kind of like a symbol of a stained reputation. So Ooh. it was like super important that you keep your dress clean. Oh, crap. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so I'm, when, I'm rude. When Elizabeth Bennett comes in with her hem six inches deep in mud. Oh, dear. The Bennett's oh, the big- they're totally like slut-shaming her, aren't they? Yes, they're starting to be like, mm-hmm. Yeah, your dress is dirty. What else is dirty? Whoa. Oh, I didn't like those. <laughs> well, that whole scene. Ladies. You know, Oh, her her eyes were brightened by the exercise. Yeah, you know? she was loose. She was wild. Yeah, that kind of stuff. And like, they're making fun of it. Like, it takes a few minutes for them to be like, "Oh, maybe she cared about her sister more yeah. than her dress." <laughs> yeah. So they were making a double entendre. Yes, indeed. Um, the uh, the the sort of in Mansfield Park, um, we were talking about Eleanor Tilney wearing all white. And there's a scene where Fanny Price is wearing all white in Mansfield Park. And Edmund actually says to her, a woman can never be too fine when she is all in white, meaning mm-hmm. too, too dressed up, too dressy. Um, I guess because of the, I always took that to mean the purity of white and the, the innocence of white kind of protect you from seeming overly dressed, you know, mm-hmm. or like too mature. Um, it's like an LBD. It's the LBD of the day. Yeah. It, was the, it was the one thing you could wear and it'd be acceptable anywhere. You can take it anywhere. Yeah. And that's notable too. I mean, I think everybody knows this, at, you know, at this point, but the, the dress that Fanny is wearing, that scene is one that Sir Thomas, she was a bridesmaid at Mariah's wedding mm-hmm. and um, it's a white dress. And so she's saying, Oh, it's the dress. My uncle was so good as to give me on the occasion of my cousin's marriage. Well, you know, they were all wearing white. The bridesmaids were wearing white too, which today would be like a, a total faux pas. Yeah. And after well, Labor Day, ugh. <laughs> the bride might not have been wearing white. Um, oh, really? Yeah, well, like, it wasn't common until Queen Victoria did it. Oh, Before so what, then, what color would they wear? Just like a pale? Just your nicest dress. She might have gotten away with something a little brighter since she's getting married, so she's wow. Wow, that is super interesting. All right, what else you got, Bethany? Keep them coming. Uh-huh. This is great. Yeah, um, so just on the subject of washing, cleanliness came into fashion then. But, like, if you think of the previous eras with the giant hair, and, like, you wouldn't wash that hair. Basically, you'd wear, like, your petticoats, your under things, until they rotted off you. Oh, my. Disgusting. Even rich people. How did these people not all die of, like, urinary tract infections? Ugh. Because they they didn't have any antibiotics, right? No. They survived this part. Yeah, so it like cleanliness became super popular. So you'd be sending if you could have free clothing out to be laundered by someone else because it was a massive task. Right, and it happened like every two weeks, every once a month. So you had to have enough white dresses to get you through a month. 
Uh, a Regency dress typically took seven yards of fabric. So when Mr. Tilney's talking about 10 shillings a yard or whatever, I'm not sure how many 70 shillings is, but it might be like, it could be a lot. Um, if you were less wealthy like Jane and Cassandra, Austin, you'd make your clothing yourself from templates that you got from magazines or by taking apart your old clothes and using them as templates. But if you were richer, you had somebody to do it for you, which yeah, is like a seamstress. I see. Yeah. So, and I have a note here about uh, lace because Mrs. Bennett is like obsessed with the lace on the Thingley <laughs> Sisters' yeah. gowns. Yeah. Um, and there's a reason for that. Lace was handmade and it was very yeah. difficult to make. Like, I don't know if you've ever seen um, bobbin lace, but they have to like twist, um, switch bobbins around, but it takes hours and hours and hours. So like the lace on the gown was super expensive. And so like the more lace, the better. I mean, that's how I feel about lace now. The more lace, the better. <laughs> you sh I just have doilies everywhere. Yeah. In my apartment. Not some poor, poor spinster doing it for you, though. No, I am the poor spinster. Yeah. <laughs> Remember, in Regency times, I would just be like, whatever. I'd be that crazy lady at the end of the lane. Well, um, I was going to say, too, lace, um, you know, being so valuable. I think one of the problems is that it, used to yellow like mm -hmm. yeah and um i don't know if that was something that they um had to deal with this there um there was definitely one method where you like soaked it in milk or something to like uh oh up, have you, you know. guys seen cranford yeah that's exactly what i'm yeah. thinking yeah. of yeah that's yes. the, the lady soaks her lace in milk to try and whiten it yes. and the cat drinks the milk and eats her lace <laughs> yeah <laughs> and then things really go south from there if i recall well she tries to get the cat die no no <laughs> um oh okay well that's good <laughs> uh, has to come out the other end i seem to remember oh yeah. god that must be awful yeah it was pretty it was i was pretty shocked for that you know like refined sort of show to be like going there but yeah <laughs> but that's how val I mean, if they were making the point, that's how valuable the lace was. It's like, oh my god, the lace! You know, like, you gotta, you gotta get it. You gotta get, get back. Get out. You gotta get in there and get it. <laughs> well, and so I was gonna ask too, though, about your the washing, because um, in Northanger Abbey, we all know that what Catherine winds up finding, if I'm not mistaken, is laundry lists, washing lists, washing yeah. lists. Oh, right, 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 in the trunk. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so somebody who is traveling, I guess, could pay to have their clothes laundered. Like yeah. Oh, you know what, though? We had to do that on the cruise. So as you all might remember, um, Bay and I and some friends went on this big three-week-long trip in Asia. And part of it included a cruise. And because we were gone so long, we had to send our laundry out. Um, but you have to give them a list of everything mm -hmm. that you're including in the bag because that way you yeah. can't come back later and be like, you lost my favorite jeans. Um, they know exactly like one pair of jeans, three tank tops, two short sleeve shirts, three long sleeve shirts. Mm -hmm. So I guess it's basically the same concept. You would write down every in a log everything that you were sending out so you had a record. That is yeah. just the height of luxury to me is having somebody else do your laundry. <laughs> yeah, well, let me tell you how this works. So it's super expensive on the boat, right? But my friend Chris had a coupon, which was one bag of laundry for $20. So you have never seen such Tetrising as 
we rolled, so Bay is great at this because he has a very good eye for detail. So we like rolled every piece of clothing into the tightest little like roll that we could and we shoved so much into the bag. It was just like a solid block. <laughs> they had but to it back to us in like three different bags. <laughs> <laughs> Makes sense. But, but um, what was I going to say? There's a weird, uh, so I wanted to ask Bethany this. There is a very weird item on that laundry list in Northanger Abbey, which is breeches ball. Do you know what I'm talking about? Um, where, um, no, I don't know. <laughs> is this ringing a bell or no? I remember the laundry list. It's been a yeah. long time since I read Northanger I can do Abbey. a Google search and find yeah, out what it is. breeches ball. I think it was talking about like um, the special like whitening stuff or whatever that they would use on um I don't know, on, on the laundry, you know, like the, they were paying for it. Oh, 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 I found it. I found it. So apparently someone wrote on their blog um, that the breeches ball was a special soap used to clean stains off yes. of men's breeches. <laughs> I don't want to know what kind of stain. <laughs> Specifically for that purpose. Yeah, um, well, breeches were usually made of buckskin so maybe that had something to do like really uh, like soft leather and usually like a pale color so maybe they had to have special soap for the special leather i had no idea they were made of buckskin me neither now i'm thinking like davy crockett although beaver hats were very popular too for men right yes and i'm canadian so i was gonna say people went crazy for canada yeah this is like the whole history of my country has to do with beaver hats beaver because they use the, they use the um, coats to make fancy hats. Um, is that why some of the gloves were called men's beavers? I think so. Yeah, so they'd have beaver hair in the in the actual glove. Yeah, because it's oh, very warm, warm and it's also waterproof. Waterproof. Hey, hey, I can get some of those. That sounds great. <laughs> Winter's coming. Winter's coming. Winter's coming. Winter's coming. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I'm sorry. So you were saying, Bethany, I got you off track about with my breeches ball comment. No, that's fine. Yeah. Well, I'd imagine that they'd have to list every item as well because it was paid differently for each item. Oh, yeah. So like your dress that has a lot of fabric would cost more than like a shirt to get washed. Sure. Sure. Yeah. So um, I was just going to make some comments about shoes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Shoes. uh, Rich women had most wore mostly boots outside that were made of like a thick leather, um, but poor women wore clogs made of wood. But then, oh yeah, like Crocs, right? Yeah, like like Ugh. Dutch clogs. Yeah. But patents, then, right? Were they called yeah, patents? So I, I was just gonna say that in wet weather, which in England it rains all the time, they wore patents, which were like an overshoe that had a heel on it, so that when you went to cross the street, because there's filth and gross and horses. Um, leaving their stuff all over the street, you wouldn't get your hem in it because it's very important that you keep your hem clean of your dress clean so you right. could walk in like these high heels across the road. <laughs> wow. <laughs> it seems super weird, but... Yeah, so, and, and they were actually almost like a cleat, right? Like, yeah. Like you were saying, you like, you put it on the shoe, it, it gave you some height and it allowed you to... That's really smart. We need those now, like when it's raining or if it's mm-hmm. snowy. Well, so in um, Bath, uh, there is a, a museum you can go to, the Georgian Museum. And um, I was in the, the low, the, I remember to this day, 
um, I, I was in the, the lowest level of the uh, museum. I was looking at something in a case. I was in the kitchen, but they had a glass case full of stuff. And I was trying to ask the lady. Um, it had a sign underneath it, this metal thing. It had a sign that said patent or patents. And I was trying to ask the docent, like, what is this patent? And she could not understand me. And she finally goes, oh, patents. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so you were I, like, whatever, bitch. <laughs> I felt really, so to this day, I, I remember. Don't be so banal. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was basic. <laughs> Anyway, so you were saying, Bethany, about uh, patents, patents. Yeah, so they were, you had to keep your dress clean, and that was a way to do it while crossing the street. I mean, why and bother even going out, right? Because you're just going to get filthy, and people are going to think dirty. you're a prostitute. So you <laughs> might as well just Netflix and chill, because what's the point? You might as well just sit on your couch with your pug. Hey, wait, yes. Exactly. This is exactly. a great idea. Because <laughs> you can't, you can't do anything anyway. You can't breathe properly. Yeah, you've already probably so- squeezed out some kids, so you just make them get you everything, like a diet coke. Yeah, and you're just like, I will stay here with Mr. Puggington. Yeah. Yes, yes, <laughs> like Lady Bertram laying on a sofa, uh-huh. doing nothing, l- nicely dressed, making a, some long fringe. You know, a a, <laughs> a, a, a little it, use, a, a no beauty. That's and right. no beauty. Yes, that's right. Of little use and no beauty. That's the that's Lady so- Bertram. Did older women continue to wear corsets their entire life? Do you know, Bethany, like how yes. long you were expected to do that? Yeah, and you were expected to wear it while pregnant as well. Oof. What? Whoa. Yes, although oh, the, there were special ones for that, but you still had to wear one. A special pregnancy corset. And I don't know why that would be, too, because you you get confined after a certain period. Yeah. Oh, yeah, nobody wants you, to couldn't, you couldn't It's like the opposite show. of the red tent. What's the opposite of the red tent? <laughs> Like the pregnancy tent. Yeah. What would they call that? Confinement, which yes. sounds terrible. Like you just, you just could never show any evidence that you, you were supposed to have children, but no one was supposed to know how. How it happened. So right. You just had to like hide yourself away. So like Miss Williams in yeah. Sense and Sensibility, they just send you somewhere. Yes. Yes. Right. Or or um the Mrs. Wallace at the end of Persuasion, and she's like, um. It's a plot point, actually. But I was going to say, too, about shoes. I, I don't know if you have more points about shoes, Bethany, but um, there is an unfinished uh, fragment of Jane Austen's work, uh, The Watsons, and in it, there is a Mr. Darcy-esque rich character who is trying to tell um, the main character what she should wear on her feet. He's like, mansplaining. Yeah, like he, he, was, he was like, oh, this would be perfect for you to wear down the lane. Um, something like something galoshed with nankin right so as i'm reading this this fragment and i'm like okay i know the word galoshes i've never heard of nankin before and i had to do all this research about what he was saying and he was it was it would have been like a super nice fancy nothing you would ever wear down a dirty lane kind of fabric and so it was showing how how rich and out of touch he was kept your nice shoes for the party yeah, Bethany, you, is your husband doing dishes again? <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, just, we did a sound I, check, I, listeners, and it was like this banging. And I was like, is someone doing dishes? Yeah. And Bethany goes, honey. 
<laughs> it's amazing how much the mic will pick up. Like you, there are things you never think about. Like the, the, like one time we were recording and I had to go upstairs and say to Kevin, like, are you moving furniture up here or something? He was just walking around. And the mic that was, was actually very creepy because it had gotten dark and it was in your um, pine paneled basement room. And when you got up and left, it was like, I'm going to murder. You need to lay off my pine panel. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm not, I'm not hating on the pine panel. I'm <laughs> but you have in the past and you keep no, well, referring yeah, to it. That was funny. But I'm just saying that, you know, because we see a lot of now these found footage kind of movie, horror movies. <laughs> <laughs> so when you got up and left and there was this like creepy, dark, basement room I was just like oh my god um, before I forget Bethany I also wanted to ask you with regard to shoes uh, about shoe roses oh yeah is there is it sense and sensibility where they talk about shoe roses pride and prejudice where they say the very shoe roses for netherfield was were got by proxy oh yeah so what's a shoe rose it's like a um have you guys ever seen shoe clips yeah. Yeah, where you like clip it's like an earring for your shoes and you clip it oh, on and then it's like a no. an ornament on your shoe. Cool. I had some for my wedding. Um yeah, so they're like roses made of fabric that you would clip onto your shoes. And you could put make, them on different shoes? Like yeah. you could take it off one and put it on the other. Right. So then uh. but they but then they have to send away to they have to send their servant into town to get some. You know, I always wondered um, about the fit of these people's shoes because I can barely walk around in shoes when I, you know, a new pair of shoes. It, I get blisters every single time, even if I buy them from like a nice place. And so I always think about, not only do I always think about how dirty everybody was, Maggie, but mm-hmm. I always think about how bad their feet must have hurt because. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. And but I, I would know. also, I would think about, how their shoes must fall apart all the time because they mm-hmm. had no like padding or cushion. They must have all had fallen arches. <laughs> oh God. And it's like, they show Lizzie, like, you know, in the, in the words of the Bingley scampering about the countryside, but it's like, if you have no support in your shoes and you have one pair of shoes, mm-hmm. did people really want to walk around that much? Well, you didn't really, unless yeah. you were working. And if you, you, the, the dancing slippers were such thin leather that you could actually wear holes in them. So like one and night of dancing, yeah. you'd wreck your shoes. They were like one use only. Wow. I, that's something else I always wondered about. It was that, is it seven dancing princesses where they, yeah. they talk about how they wear out their shoes every night? Uh-huh. Cause they dance so much. Right. Wow. So no I'm, support I'm, guys, no arch support. And no. also, they didn't have right and left shoes until Victorian times. That what? Insane. No, they didn't make right and left shoes. They were just yeah. like a long piece. Oh, God. I'm never going. so yeah. uncomfortable. You know, so I guess this, I guess what I saw in this movie is incorrect again. Um, but I will bring it up in Sense and Sensibility, the, the Ang Lee version. When Marianne tumbles down that hill... And then Will becomes, and he ascertains the bone for it, and he breaks, right? He takes her shoe off, and she's, like, wearing, like, kind of a flat, you know? Yeah, it has, like, a little heel. Uh, not a heel, but it has, uh, like, a, a hard sole. Kind yeah. Of. But she, when it she, comes off her foot, it makes this sound of, like, cardboard or flimsy, mm-hmm. you know, fabric. And you can see there's no support in there. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I don't know why. why she fell down a hill. And I, I mean, always focus on it. 
like there's absolutely no padding in that shoe and how much she hurt he must have hurt doesn't he say something like may i have your permission to inspect the 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 bone for any he's touching her foot it's a big deal and that's in the movie though that's not it's not in the book well, yeah, she's, lucky. Really she's lucky that she wasn't wearing rotted undergarments because that would be yeah. embarrassing. Yeah. Oh, no, she definitely wouldn't have been. Um, I don't know if we intend to talk at all about matters of hygiene. Uh, a little bit. Well, just just washing. Kristen, let Bethany keep, already... let her keep her outline. washing, but no, no go no, ahead. No. <laughs> no, 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 no. I want. I agree with Maggie. You should you should go on with your 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 outline. Oh, I was just going to talk more about hats. Let's talk about hats. Yes, yes, let's talk about hats. Let's talk about hats. Let's talk about hats, baby. I, I'm literally <laughs> clapping. I'm clapping. <laughs> you can't see it, but I am clapping my hands together. I'm so excited. Okay. Talk yep, to me about so hats. They were wearing something on Wait, their Wait, are there boats? No. The boats are out. Then I don't give a shit. No, I'm just kidding. Talk to me about hats. <laughs> boats are so 25 years ago. We're going to bring that back. No, we're going to bring that back. No, because you didn't. You, okay, you do your hair up, and then you wouldn't wash it, and you'd put like goose grease in it to keep it up, and then you just leave it there for like a month. Oh, man, that's Georgians awesome. So it's like gross. when you go. It's like so when you gross. go to the blowout bar, and you just use a you dump a whole thing of like dry shampoo on it <laughs> to try to to try to make the blowout last as long as possible. <laughs> gross, yep. gross, gross. Anyway, so women wore hats on their heads pretty much all the time. Um, unless you were younger and then you could get away with like hair bands, but you wore hats and bonnets outdoors made of like straw or fabric, like the bonnets. Mm -hmm. And, um, they were usually embellished by themselves. So like Lydia Bennett buys a bonnet and then says she's going to tear it apart later and like make it better. That was a totally common thing to do. And then for a while after, um, General Nelson won a victory over Napoleon near the Nile in Egypt. Turbans became fashionable. Yes. Like Caroline Bingley in the 95 Pride and Prejudice wears like a turban. Yeah. With a huge feather in it. Like Joan Collins. Fabulous. Yeah. Gotta bring that back. Is that referenced in Northanger Abbey explicitly where um, Isabella Thorpe says that she – wore a turban and it became her odd face or at least Tilney said yeah, so. It was really time. popular for like a short period of time, like a fad. I like also, slap bracelets. Yeah. Like slap bracelets. Yeah. They were the slap bracelets of the Regency <laughs> era. I also imagine, so let me tell you about this. It's not that interesting. In oh, Mansfield okay. Park. <laughs> I'll just say that up right. I can't wait to hear about it, Kristen. <laughs> In Mansfield Park, when William comes back and he is, it, it talk, it's talking about how, how much he and Fanny, you know, just really enjoy each other and love each other and so happy to be together. And one line of dialogue he has, um, Austin is sort of illustrating how much he loves her, is that he stretches his hand towards Fanny's head and he says, you know, I began to like that queer fashion already. Although when the Admiral's wife appeared that way in Gibraltar in the same trim, I thought she was mad, um, meaning, you know, crazy. Uh, and it never is explicit about what fashion he thinks is so crazy. And when I read that, I always think it's got to be a turban. So he's got to be. Oh, I, just assumed, I, just I thought assumed. it was like a bowl haircut. 
I just assumed <laughs> like, it was her or like her page boy or yeah. Well, yeah, had to they, be... they started to wear their hair in very distinct styles, so it's possible he hasn't seen like the newest fashion for like yeah. the little curls around your face. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It, it, he does say trim, which made me think it's a physical item, but actually he could have just been speaking figuratively. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, trim or, like her hair trim, like or getting your hair trimmed. Or you you could wear um, ribbons or like pearls or flowers in your hair. So it's possible she's got a ribbon in her hair. Oh, maybe. Could you wear feathers in your yeah. hair or you have to wear feathers on a bonnet? You could wear them in your hair and like a hairband. Because oh, that's in uh, like a fascinator. Yeah, yeah, kind of. But like super big ostrich feathers were popular. Yes. Oh my god, love it. And like oh later- right, like when oh sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say later on, it's like the bigger the better feathers, so they get kind of crazy. But like in Northanger Abbey, when they go to the, uh, the dances and they all it's packed so tight, all they can see are the huge oh, the feathers, feathers. the high right. feathers of some of the ladies. That's yep. right. That's right. Yeah, so this is a good segue into hair. Um, usually the hair would get pulled back in a chignon, which is like a low bun at the back of your head. And then you could have curls around your face. Um, and then unlike earlier styles where they powdered their hair, like, you know, Marie Antoinette style right. with white hair, um, you're allowed to keep your own hair color, which is, you know, an improvement. Yeah. Um, but one thing that really annoys me in the movie sometimes is that grown women have their hair down. Yes. I think it's in the it's in the newer Sense and Sensibility. Marianne and always has her hair down, and in the Andrew Davies, uh, yeah, that one, yeah, I had to rewatch. And them. it's like only little girls did that. Yeah, as that would not you, have. As soon as you were out in society, you put your hair up because only like hookers had their hairs. It was like a bedroom thing to have your hair down. That wouldn't. That, I mean, that wouldn't have been a thing until like the 1930s or 40s that it would be appropriate. Yeah. To have your hair down if you were an adult. Yeah. So you curly hair was really in because, again, the Greek statues all had, like, curly hair. So you'd curl your hair by by twisting it and putting it in curling papers when it was wet and then letting it dry overnight. So, like, putting it all up into papers or by using um, heated tongs. Um, and, yes, you could burn your hair off. Uh, or your hair could catch fire, which apparently happened. I mean, I can't even use a curling iron without burning myself. I, know, I can't right? imagine. I think, I, don't it's, know. I think it's Little Women where they. Burn yes, their I was hair just. Yeah, yeah. That. And Meg burns their hair. Meg, yeah, 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 yeah. I remember yeah. that. Or no, yeah. aren't they like actually ironing it? When is it where they're actually ironing their hair? There's some movie. Um, I don't. Period uh, drama. That because you put it was like you put the tongs in the fire. And then you put it on your hair. Like, there was no insulation. Nope. 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 <laughs> the, ironing thing, the ironing thing sounds like something from Anne of Green Gables, though. It sounds like something that she would do. Yeah, um, it does. Dye her hair green and then iron it. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, what's amazing about that Anne of Green Gables era, too, is there there is another book by Lisa Maud Montgomery. It does not star Anne, but um, one of the scrapes that one of the young ladies gets into is right before the Christmas concert. She is trying to, she puts her hair up in papers and then she puts something on it, but it's the wrong thing and it's something gross. So they have to, the tragedy is they have to shampoo her hair and everybody's all sad. And she's like, it's not going to look good because after I shampoo, my hair is lusterless. 
And so uh, it just, it's not like, greasy. Yeah, it's not greasy and yeah. shiny like everybody else's hair. And it's like kind of reminds you. I mean, they were probably <laughs> using lye soap, so. Oh, jeez. Or like, yeah, like soap you have to make with animal fat and something gross. So that's true. No wonder. Yeah, yeah. True. It was not exactly Pantene Pro V that they were using. Yeah. So um, it's um. It's it's interesting though how these standards of beauty kind of reflect the necessity. Like we can't all wash our hair all the time, so let's make greasy hair like really attractive. The thing. That's true. Although the less often you wash your hair, the less it will get greasy like that. Oh, if not you, mine. Really? If you wash your hair every day, it, it gets greasy really easy. But if you wash it like once a week, it'll start not getting greasy as often. So, yeah. so I just have really fine it. hair, so it's just like I have this friend who swears that her hair doesn't get greasy anymore. So I'll, I'll take that her. <laughs> no, okay, I hear well. this. No, I, I believe you. I hear the same thing. No, I, I believe. Yeah, I believe that most for most people that that is true. Yeah. But I mean, I only I only wash my hair every other day. Um, so but if right. and if I wait any longer than that, it's oh, I just have very fine like baby fine hair. So any kind of buildup will immediately make it like weighted down and yeah. greasy. And another another thing you could do is you, if you had a very fine tooth comb, the like brushing a hundred times. If you brush your hair very frequently with a fine tooth comb, it takes a lot of gross stuff out of it. Oh, that's true. So, yeah, that's that was right. a way of cleaning it without washing it because washing was kind of. Like it was a big deal, and it was yeah. yeah. You had to have servants carrying hot water and stuff, and it was dangerous because you know that you're wet and cold, and then you get sick. Of course, my oh, yeah. brother-in-law um, bought me a book for, for Christmas one year. It's called "The Dirt on Clean." And yeah. um, was he trying to tell you something? Yeah, he must have been trying to tell. I don't know. I don't know. Sounds he bought really me this book. I guess he was like, I don't know what the hell to get her, but I. <laughs> You like history, right? Yeah. yeah, it was probably, I mean, I'm sure that he, yeah, it sounds like a thoughtful gift. Actually. But yeah, I was reading it and I, th- so he's a brother, my brother-in-law, I tell him about Jane Austen or was telling him about Jane Austen and he's always like, oh, you know, he'll listen politely. But oh, I got whatever. back to him and I said, this book that you bought me has a whole section about Jane Austen and that That's era and the fact that she wrote Sanditon at a bathing place and how, mm-hmm. you know, how so dangerous to be wet and how they never bathed and um you know that's why he bought it for you no because it didn't have anything to do i mean it, he had no idea that that content oh. was in there okay, had he mind. known i don't think he would have bought it for me not wanting to encourage me to talk to him about jane austen any more than was but it, it, ended, up, it ended up coming to back at him because he didn't know it had a whole Jane Austen section. Yes. And guys, guys, very brief digression. Another year he bought me a book called Fly by Wire, which is about um, Sully Sullenberger and how safe it is to fly because he knows I'm afraid of flying. And so I'm reading this book and there's this anecdote in there about a, a British um, commercial flight who flew, they flew over a volcano and all four engines stalled. This was like, <gasps> you know, it not sound like and, a good book um, if you feel better. I know. This is a terrible book to read if you're afraid of flying because it's all about <laughs> – it's, it's stories about how things went scary and then they were okay. But every time it starts, it was a normal flight, you know, like yeah. – oh, no. <laughs> It's really bad. But, but here's the Jane Austen connection. 
So this pilot, this British pilot gets on the intercom and he's like, uh, we're trying to restart the engines. I hope you are not in distress. <laughs> and, a, and, and anecdotally, there was one like old spinster in one of the, the corners and one of the seats, like who never even looked up from her Jane Austen, it said. <laughs> That's me. You can just picture me on that flight. I know. I contacted him and I was like, every single thing has a reference to Jane Austen in it. Every single thing. She's everywhere. And I got all important. Kristen, is your brother-in-law one of the haters? Um... I don't think he'll ever listen to this, so I will say that I think in the past he has been a hater. Oh, but, guess what I'm giving him right now. I, <laughs> I shouldn't be hard on him. I mean, I think he has come around. And you know what? Oh. He really came around. Um, I mean, he still hasn't watched it or anything, but he really came around when Whit Stillman came out with uh, Love and Friendship because Whit oh. Stillman is, is, an art, is an artsy-fartsy director, and he's into mm. artsy-fartsy. And so when it came out, he was like, ooh, you know, Jane Austen, I guess we don't have to ridicule it after all. Ugh. And it's like a, the world's <laughs> largest eye <Definitely>. roll. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, he has been very supportive in later years, although he was a skeptic at first. So, Okay, I've come back to talk about men's fashion. Um, just really quickly, because I know it's way boring. Or, but, um, <laughs> do they wear ribbons in their hair or boats or bird's nests or any of that? Crap. Yes, Todd, no. Um, oh, that would have been cool. It was mostly inspired by the military, um, so and mostly dark colors. So if you think of all the men in all the movies, they're all wearing black or gray right. or dark blue or dark green. Um, and they, in the earlier part of this period, they're wearing breeches, which are like these pants that only go to below their knees, and then they wear their boots to their knees. Right. Um, but later on, they start to wear trousers, like pants. Um, I like the boots. I, I'm not going to lie. I like the boots. Those are like military yeah. boots or like riding boots. Mm-hmm. They were inspired yeah. by both. Colin Firth's got those long legs. Uh-huh. With the tight-fitting mm-hmm. trousers. Mm-hmm. Made out of buckskin. Right. <laughs> buckskin trousers. <laughs> so think about how interesting it would be, like how accurate are those costumes? Because now I'm just picturing him, like, when he's standing there as Mr. Darcy. But in my mind's eye, I make his pants, like, buckskin, like, more leathery looking. And then I put a beaver hat on his head. And it's, like, a whole different, it's just, like, a whole different view of Darcy. It's William Darcy, Darcy, king of the wild frontier. (laughs) Born on him. You think he killed him a bar? <laughs> to those who may not be, to those who may not know what we are referencing, um, I think it's the 1950s. Uh, Disney had a TV series about Davy Crockett, and the theme song is completely ridiculous, but also completely iconic. So, if you feel like looking it up, you will understand what we are joking about. Yeah. So um, they usually wore like drawers under these pants, but they were tight-fitting drawers because they were tight-fitting pants. Um, and then, Tidy whities Yes, Yay. definitely. And then underneath they wore a white shirt, which was probably sewn by one of their relatives. Um, the, women, the women were always sewing something. Yeah, the men couldn't sew, of course. No, right. no but the women sewed basically all the undergarments, all the night clothes, and like all the household linen were sewn by the women in the family. Hmm, or the female servants in the family. I was going to ask you about that. So basically when we see the Bennets and one of the sisters is just kind of sitting there sewing, she could just be actually sewing 
undergarments or like a napkin or is that yeah. something that you would do if you were say middle class would you yeah. not be embarrassed to just like sew your whatever your family needed yeah so the Bennett's would probably the Bennett girls would probably be sewing like um clothing or like underclothes or right like sheets or something like probably not in public but they would be sewing sheets um the like in their own yeah city. the Bingley's would probably be sewing something needlework Something for a pillow. Yeah, of a little inspirational, use of no value. a motivational phrase. Yeah, like like um, we were talking about Lady Bertram sewing some sort of tapestry. Fringe. Right. Yeah, <laughs> everyone made many hours of fringe and did a great deal. Just fringe, just fringe on everything. Just fringe it all up. Yeah, yeah. It's like the seventies. It's the eight. It's like the eighteen seventies. Fringe everywhere. <laughs> Yeah, so they're always sewing. So they're wearing this white undershirt, and then they're wearing a waistcoat. Um, typically not a flannel one, unless you're an old man. So like, unless you're Colonel, Colonel Brandon. Colonel Brandon wearing a flannel waistcoat. Um, okay, so is a waistcoat is that like a vest or is that the the coat they wear? Yeah, so that's the jacket. so that's the vest, and then you okay. wear the jacket over top, and then the okay. jacket was sort of cut away at the waist, and then it went down to long tails. And right. then around the neck, you had a high so collar. Sorry, go ahead. No, um, it's just interesting to me because it, it's and just if you want to look at Pride and Prejudice again as an example of all of this, it's basically all made again for the the men to also appear long and lean because that I mean yes. that that fashion with the high waist coat, high in the front, low in back looks ridiculous if you have a huge pot belly, right? Oh, it's super, super unflattering. Yeah, but if you have someone like Colin Firth at that time who was like leg and tall and lean, it's very attractive. Yeah. But it can go wrong really easily. <laughs> yeah, so the this was inspired by military fashion. I don't think there were a ton of overweight military men at the time because there was a lot of marching involved. You need more epaulets, though. They need more epaulets on their everyday uh -huh. jackets, I think. Definitely. And then, so there's this, this guy called Beau Brummel, and he was like a style icon for men. And he popularized the cravat, the neckcloth. Yes! Oh my god, I love cravats. Yeah, so I know. So they have high, this high collar, and then they have a neckcloth wrapped around it, and the intricacy of your neckcloth equaled, like, how fashionable you were. So the knots were very, could be very elaborate. Um, but the high collars, if they got too high, would, like, poke you in the cut there yeah. and they could like puncture something so Jeez. you have to be careful so not a lot of um range of motion in the cervical area no nobody gets, no nobody gets any range of motion that's really interesting sort of like hugh grant right in um yeah sense and sensibility and how stiff he yeah. always looks and how stiff yeah. he always looks oh yeah i think it's that's like a British stiff upper lip well. What was oh that for sure thing? they 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 always made his, she was saying that he thought that was a character choice that they yes. did with his costuming. Where, I mean, yeah. that was definitely purposeful to make him look uncomfortable and his clothes didn't fit correctly. And <laughs> Yeah, so I was reading this article that said Jane Austen almost hardly ever mentions clothes so that when she does, it's telling us something about the character. Yes. So like um, Robert Ferris, we, know, we can tell a lot about him by the way he's dressed. So like he's dressed super fancy and he's obsessed with his toothpick case. Yeah, toothpick and man. Toothpick man. Yeah. <laughs> that that says a lot about him as a person. He's a poppin' jay. Uh, what's right? What we're looking for? A cad. 
A coxcomb. Coxcomb. That's the word. That's the word. Isn't that like the thing on top of the rooster? Yeah. Where so because it's like all for show, right? It's just like he's parading himself around. Yeah, strutting. Is that what that's called? I think so. I think so. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I mean, the the like today it's, we mean, well, we might say um, peacocky. Yeah, same kind of idea. But it makes sense why they would refer to that because that's just that red flare thing on top of the rooster's head that's supposed to be like, "Hey, look at me!" <laughs> <laughs> Attractive to the female chickens. Yeah. Nowadays, it's like I'm lucky if they will even put on a shirt. <laughs> <laughs> I know, the same pair of mesh shorts every night. <laughs> Kevin, that's a special me. occasion, Kevin. You're actually wearing pants. I know. <laughs> I know. Um, is, someone, is someone coming over? Are we going out? <laughs> so Bo Brumel, though, um, I did not know it was pronounced, said Brumel. I always said Brommel. Um, so thank you for that. But he um, was a style icon before him. Were they a little bit more peacocky? I thought I remembered something about him also bringing in a more sober sort of. Yeah. Yeah. So again, with the French in, um, influence, where if you think of like Louis the 16th, I think. With yeah, like, like bright with silk. Court, and... Like the gold and the men wore high heels and like the, the curly wigs. Yeah. And, Bo Brumel was very like, let's keep it clean. Let's keep it simple. Like keep all the lines simple. Keep all the colors pure. Like he was it really into that. It probably became more about the quality of your clothing rather than the garishness yeah. of what you were wearing. So like even now, like a man in a really well-made, well-tailored black suit, like that just looks really nice. Yes. I wanted to ask about... Um, hats as well. Are you doing men's hats? Mm-hmm. Because, um, okay, this is totally hijacking, but I'm really curious as to, I don't know if you remember the scene where um, the Darcy, Darcy and the Bingleys and Mr. and Mrs. Hurst go to that first dance um, at the assembly room or whatever, and they get mm-hmm. out of their carriage and they put on these bizarre hats and they clearly only wear them into the uh, place, you know, the assembly room, and then they immediately take them off. The men put on bizarre hats? Are those the tri-cornered ones? Yeah, like the tri-corner looking ones. Yeah, Yeah, they're like bi-corner. Like, like out in the front and out in the back? Oh, that's like a naval? naval That's a military thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Oh, that's, I did not connect that with like a military style, but that's exactly what So if you, especially Mm -hmm. the Napoleonic era, like we're talking about, if you look up the hats that the naval officers would wear, Kristen, it's probably very similar to, and I know this because I watch, um, oh, what's that one with the the Welsh guy where he is, um, it follows his career, oh God. Horatio Hornblower. Horatio Hornblower, yeah. And they have all the wacky naval and yeah. also on the crown, okay, so the crown on Netflix, Prince Philip has uh-huh. one of those over-the-top ridiculous um, oh, yeah, he does hats too. with like the point in the front and the point in the back. Yeah, it was it was Napoleonic. It was Napoleon style. I actually saw Napoleon's hat in Montreal when we were there. His actual hat? Yeah, they have it in the museum. That's cool. Napoleon's hat. And it, it's like that. It's like I think it's tri-cornered, actually. It's like out in the sides and then out in the front. That is pretty cool. That is Napoleon's actual hat. 
when you can actually get a, a possession or, or especially a, a building or a place that's not just a reproduction, but the actual real thing, there is something so visceral about that. Oh, there is, there is. I don't know if you guys were following the news about Jane Austen's ring. Was it last year? Oh, yeah. Um, no. Oh, um, so Jane Austen's um, ring. I'm, I haven't written down what kind of ring it was. Hang on. A turquoise. Um, was went up for auction and Kelly Clarkson bought it. Wow. Oh my God, more reasons to love her. <laughs> and then they put like a hold on it so that she couldn't take it out of the country. And then apparently she's a huge Jane fan, Jane Ice. Oh Kelly Clarkson. So she agreed to sell it to Chotten House Museum. So it's there now. Anyway, but speaking of like, we, we seem to attach a lot of value to like this person wore this thing it was like on her finger well it's very personal yeah. right the things that we wear are very, like they have touched our skin intimately i don't mean that you know like sexually they touched our like it, they have touched your skin lived on your body uh -huh. very few things that you could own that were someone's i think that would be so immediate and personal i think that would be really cool yeah, wouldn't that be cool? Like so, they actually put this on their body and wore it around, and it was part of them, basically. Yeah, so Kelly Clarkson had a reproduction made, and she wears that, apparently. Oh, my God! Yeah. Kelly Clarkson! Cool. Just something random. Um, I I've was, seen her in concert, like, five times. She's amazing. Really? That's cool. They does not enjoy her as much as I do, so whenever I play <laughs> Kelly Clarkson, he'll be like, oh, really? I'm like, shut up. We're not listening to Dave Matthews. <laughs> We had this big fight once about whether we were going to listen to Kelly Clarkson or Dave Matthews. Do you live with a country fan, too? No, he's not a country fan. No, oh, mine is. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, country music's good. Fun. Is Canadian country music similar to American country music? It's just American country music. Except there's this one, oh, there's okay. this one guy that I know has a song about, like, Canadian country girls are awesome or something. But that's the only one wow. I can think of. Okay. That's interesting. All right, that was an interesting uh, yeah. tangent. Anyways. <laughs> well, um, we might as well make them interesting, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, if you like, we can move on to undergarments. Yeah, let's do. Yeah, we can talk about underwear. Um, so if you imagine those kind of gowns, you know, Elizabeth Bennett in her white dress, you can imagine there's not a lot of room for underwear under there quite close fitting i mean well, you relative don't have to the, you don't want to have any vpl <laughs> you don't want to have the visible panty line exactly so compared to previous um uh fashions regency women wore very little undergarments um and this was very sexy because like the lightweight garments um used to be undergarment they used to be i think it's called a chemise like the underdress that you yeah. wear under your big fancy ball gown was now the outer dress. So it's that like was, if you were wearing a slip, right? Yeah. So, you know, like a couple years when slip dresses became, maybe that was in the nineties. Yeah. yeah. That's what it was like. The equivalent of wearing a slip dress. Um, and then the fabric, this muslin fabric, I'm going to talk about a little later, uh, was almost see-through because it was so thin. I saw some pictures of a, a, mus a white muslin dress. Somebody had their hand underneath it. You could see their hand. Oh, wow. Easy. Well, this is like um, that scene in Pride and Prejudice when Lizzie and he's walking her to um, the carriages at Pemberley. Um, and they're walking like on the lane with the steps going up. And the way it's shot, you can basically see through her dress. Yeah. You can see the outline of her legs completely clearly. 
Yeah. And it's, but it's, it's shot very, it's very classy and very beautiful, but you're also thinking, oh, wow, you can see right through her dress. Yeah. So underneath this very thin muslin, you had to wear something thicker, probably of like cotton or linen. Um, and then otherwise, not only could people see through your dress, but the cold wind would go right through it. Oh, yeah. Mm. So mm -hmm. um, during this period, they didn't really wear drawers, but they did a little bit. It started to happen, um, but they were optional. And they were just like two tubes of fabric on your legs. And then they were tied together at a string and they didn't have a crotch. Um, and that was mm. kind of necessary because uh, you can't take off all your undergarments to use the washroom. So, yeah. That was just, you know, what you needed to do. But they didn't become super popular until the 1850s with the, like, gone with the wind hoop skirts. Um, and then you had to have them because your hoops could go flying up. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> like that scene in um, uh, The King and I. Where yes, yes. She puts all the king's ladies in the hoop skirts, they, and then the king comes and they bow down and whoop, go their skirts. That's very funny. Yeah, so um, we were kind of talking about the bust before, um, and it was actually called a shelf, like to create like a shelf bust. And then, oh yeah, uh -huh, I have historical precedent. <laughs> and then it wasn't considered scandalous; it was kind of a hallmark of the era. Was like this exposed bust, and then the 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 white exposed arms were mm. kind of a thing. Mm. Um, well, I do know that um, in uh, what you were talking about, like the Versailles era, um, when they would the the um, necklines would be so low that your nipples would be exposed, and women would like rouge their nipples in the court, or they would just walk around with like their tits hang totally hanging out. Really? Well, yeah, but this crazy. was in the court, like not when you're walking around in your town. But if you're one of the super rich nobles, and it's all about decadence and outdoing each other. Wow. Yeah. So, yeah. so this era was kind of a reaction to that. Like you could have it a little bit low, but again, like you yeah. needed to stuff your little scarf in there. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, let's be honest. The Brits are always going to be more literally buttoned <laughs> up than uh, the French. Yeah. Were, right? Because they, they, were... they viewed themselves as kind of a moral superior mm -hmm. country. And so they wouldn't have their boobs completely hanging mm -hmm. out. And they were really, really scared that something similar to the French Revolution was going to happen in England. Right. So they were like, no, we can't do any of that. We need to just change completely because we cannot have somebody killing the king. Because actually they'd already had that. Like the glorious, or no, the um, uh, Cromwell was only right. 50, 60 years before this. So they're like super terrified that's going to happen again. Mm-hmm. So this is post-restor. When was the restoration? Does anybody know? Uh, I think this is post-restoration. Okay. Because there's a king. The king is back. Right. Um, but I'm not super good with government stuff. I didn't look that up. <laughs> You're like, I'm Canadian. I'm not British. Whatever. <laughs> no, man. No, I have to know these things because we still have a queen. I was going to say, isn't the queen technically your head of state? Yes, she is. There you go. <laughs> She's on our money. You guys do it right. <laughs> So all these dresses that I was talking about um, muslin earlier, they could also be made of uh, silk, velvet, or wool. Um, but the like super in fabric was muslin, which was a very thin cotton. Um, it used to be silk was the big thing. 
Um, but after the French Revolution, French silk became super hard to come by. So they ah. had to switch to cotton, um, which was coming in an abundance. From India. Yes, and from America via the slave trade. Um, and it was making it very cheap because, of course, you didn't have to pay your labor force. Right. Um, and then the cotton ginny was invented, and that was a way to make fabric really easily. So you could make cheap, high-quality cotton fabric. And, of course, the cotton ginny is run by children. So slavery and child oh, awesome. labor. Oh, wonderful. Awesome. <laughs> um, so, Bethany, you've, kind of, you've, you've mentioned this briefly, but... Uh, the muslin being so thin and the environment in England and the UK not being very hospitable to thin fabric. Can you, do you have information? Can you talk about, um, like, do people get sick? You made a joke about people. Oh, you can't get wet. You'll get sick. Yeah. So it was actually so common that there was something called the muslin disease, (laughs) which you got from wearing dresses that were too thin. Um, and, uh, there was a thing, not amongst nice girls, but amongst like the fast set, um, where you, you're wearing a white dress and then you put water on, you damped it down so that it was more see-through and also clung more to your body. Mm, Wow. Um, Yeah. Think wet t-shirt contest. Wow. Yeah. Um, and, uh, famously Lady Carolyn Lamb, who was the, um, lover of Lord Byron for a short time and then pursued him like crazy. And she was married and it was very scandalous. But anyway, she did this. Um, <laughs> she like damped down her gown. It's to, like, like the ice bucket challenge. But with no muscle. good results, except everyone can yeah. see your clothes. <laughs> so basically like on New Year's Eve, when I see these girls going out with the super short skirts and bare legs and high heels and, Sleeveless, I'll be like, they're going to get the muslin disease. They are. Yeah, it was probably either pneumonia or influenza that you caught from being oh wet and cold because the wind well, was you know, dress. I always wondered in that scene where Mrs. Bennett, and I think we've talked about this, which is people don't die of trifling trifling cold. Cold. Like, Yes, they do. Yes, they do. What is wrong with you? <laughs> well, woman? She's just a bad mother. Yeah. It's true. She has <laughs> different <laughs> values. <laughs> I do sympathize with her. I really do. Like this time reading Pride and Prejudice this time around, I really do sympathize with her because she has five daughters. None of them can make any money. When yeah. her husband dies, they're all homeless. And yeah, it's not just them. Homeless. It's her. Like this is her future safety and, that she has to look after too. I mean, she can't be put out on the street. What's she going to yeah. do? Yeah, I think it's in the, um, the Kira Knightley Pride and Prejudice. Where Elizabeth is like, oh, mom, like, could you think of something else? And she turns to her and goes, yeah. yeah, when you have five daughters, tell me what else you'll think of. Like, yeah, you know what? She's right. It's so true. The- it's such a um, theme in Austin that these women are in these, this position where morally they should never try to entrap a man into marriage or to think of marrying a, ma- a man simply to form an establishment. Yet that is what they have to do. Yeah. yeah, well, it's so easy now it, to kind of look back and be like, uh, all they cared about was getting married and marrying their daughters, and that's all they were good for. And it's like, but this is the only way you had to have a roof over your head. Yeah, yeah. it's literally the only thing you could do to earn your, mon- earn your money and to have a roof over your head that wasn't your father's. Yeah. And I mean, Jane Austen herself knew this because her father 
retired and then she was like shunted from one house to the other until her brother took her in. Yeah. Yeah. Kristen, is it um is it becoming Jane, the one with Anne Hathaway where she kind of goes off on this thing where she's like, Well, I don't want to marry unless it's for love and then her mother is basically like, Look around, you're digging potatoes, like this is gonna be your future. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I if haven't seen it. To that. I don't. I don't. Oh, you haven't seen it? No, I don't. I mean, it's not great. Oh, it's okay. Yeah. Any? I'm not going to do any of that stuff. I'm not going to do any Jane fake biopics. I'm not. Yeah. Gonna. Basically, I just think just think of it as not being Jane Austen. Yeah. You know what I mean? Just think of it as a work of fiction. It's just a movie. It's a story that's set in the Regency period. So just don't get caught up in the like Jane Austen mm-hmm. part. But basically, she it's when she gets she um you know she's been proposed to and then she changes her mind and says no and her mother is basically yelling at her and she comes back at you know well I just wanted to marry I don't want to do that I don't want to do it and her mom's like well you know I married for love too look around like we're digging potatoes so good job um but it's kind of like a reality check mm-hmm. it's because a, this is one of your only options yeah I think it, it's in the Mansfield Park. Um, there's one Mansfield Park where <clears throat> basically Fanny gets sent home to Portsmouth and is like, I don't know if oh, yeah. I marry Mr. Crawford or not. And her mother goes, well, I'm married for love. And it's That's the, same yeah, thing, like, like, the 1998 yeah. Francis yeah. Dorman, Patricia Razuma. Yeah, we talked about that, I think, when we did our miss. Yeah. I like the actress mm-hmm. who plays her mother in, um, in that adaptation, though. She's very good. She's mm-hmm. been in a ton of stuff. Yeah. Boy. Oof. Yeah. That's the <laughs> I know we're gonna do there, a movie review there are of some it. Good Maggie already told you. Know, yeah, there's there's no good things about that movie. Oh wow! Okay. Um, I will say that Hugh. Okay, to be fair, Hugh Bonneville is a perfectly uh, good <laughs> Mr. Rushworth. Um, but uh, yeah, Maggie already told me I'm not allowed to be mean about that movie when we do the movie review. But um, well, we've had people write in who are like, "Oh, I really like that movie." And then Kristen kind of like shits all over <laughs> some of the movies. Yeah, you're right. I mean, you're right. You're right. But it's going to be But you hard. know what? It's not their name on the podcast, okay? You know, no, no, it's they not. They do their own podcast. To... Yeah, do your um, own I podcast. Just... No, now we're going to get lots of so, new emails. I love you all. So... Don't send me letters. The thing is, though, so, <laughs> so you're absolutely right because I had to start this podcast because everybody was always crapping all over the things I loved. So it would be the height of you know, hypocrisy, hypocrisy in me to come on to my podcast and start indiscriminately trashing things that people love. So I, I think that's yeah. a really good point. I, I, I it's like the Harry Potter Twi- and Twilight Wars. It's like people, <laughs> you're all there. Yeah, yeah. That's right. You guys said yeah. some really mean things about the Andrew Davies Sense and Sensibility, and I love that movie. So. Oh, did I say mean things about it? You said you didn't have yeah. Well, I'm not going yeah. to um, – I'm not going to say anything about that one because, frankly, I don't really remember it. I only watched it when it first aired here, and it's the only time I saw it. Well, and to be – so ago. what happened with that, with the Davies and SNS, is that our fan, Mr. I, wrote, and he said, you know, I really love that one and here are all the reasons why I love it and uh, made a lot of really good points. So then I watched it again. And wrote back to him, and I was like, I see what you're saying. I really appreciate all of these things. And um, so when we do the movie review, I'll be sure to to be fair to it and to revise my comments. And and I, I actually do need to get called out on it. Um, and, I, you know, when I do that sort of thing, because Jane Austen fans get really bitchy. I mean, not all of them, but there is this segment of Janeites where they're just really at each other's others throats and I definitely am wired that way too where I love something so passionately that I have to 
anything that I see is diluting it or taking it in a direction that's not part of the vision that I have for it is it's really upsetting to me because Mm -hmm. I'm way over invested in an probably an unhealthy way (laughs) you know so I do think I should get called out for that kind of thing and I well I I think people will forgive you because you're so delightful so I think people will forgive you I don't know sometimes I look back on all this podcasting and I'm like who am I to you know press all of my opinions on (laughs) on the listening we're not forcing people to listen though I (laughs) mean we're not like Tying people to chairs and forcing them to listen <laughs> to our Jane Austen podcast. I don't even make Bay listen to it. <laughs> Here's a producer credit. <laughs> what? This podcast isn't required listening in your country? Like, I'm out. <laughs> imagine, imagine that. Imagine if we did manage. To, we did manage to pass a law in Canada um, requiring <laughs> everyone to listen to this. You, um, now that we've uh, digressed uh, to our listeners. I will just mention that I was looking at our um, download list uh, yesterday and looking at all the different country codes of people who were downloading recently. And, you know, it's New Zealand, Australia, Great Britain, you know, the GB country code. Um, And uh, then there was a KW. And you guys know what KW is? I had to look it up. No. The country code? KW. Yeah. It was like Oh, awesome. I know. Isn't that awesome? Well, they only downloaded episode one, so I don't know that they'll ever. Oh God! Then they were like, "These girls are crazy. I can't handle it." Yeah, but uh, that still, we have one Saudi Arabian download and one Kuwaiti Kuwaiti download. That's really awesome. What if it's the same person who just like goes? Sure. Okay. Well, that is American geography uh, for you. So we've been going on a little while. So before we segue into any um, like new business that we want to talk about or anything like that, um, Bethany, is are there things that you want to talk about that we have not had given you a chance to get to? Um, I just wanted to comment a little bit on jewelry. Oh sure, yeah, yeah, because it's really cool. Fanny, Fanny's um, cross. Yes, Fanny's cross. Oh my so, god! Thank you for bringing that up, Maggie. Oh my gosh. Before I, so, okay, so Bethany wants to comment on it. Oh, no, I was just going to say we don't know a ton about um, what jewelry Jane Austen owned herself. Um, The turquoise ring that we talked about earlier, she had a couple of brooches made with um, her family's hair, which sounds weird, but, like, it was normal. Um, And then she had a topaz cross from her brother. Um, And uh, Fanny Price's brother in Mansfield Park gives her an amber cross. Yes. Um, yeah, and so I was, I was actually just rereading um, Mansfield Park um, for a class that I'm auditing at my university, and while I was reading it, I was thinking, like, so wearing jewelry was kind of, like, signaling an attachment. Like, if you wore jewelry from a man who wasn't related to you, it was signaling an attachment to him, like, mm. kind of like an engagement ring, but it was any piece of jewelry, and so... Mm-hmm. Um, that's why Fanny gets all freaked out when she realizes that the gold chain is from Henry Crawford. Um, but one thing I noticed was Edmund's necklace is referred to as a necklace. Henry's is referred to as a chain. Oh, it's backwards. So Henry's is the necklace and Edmund's is the chain. And there's actually a line where Fanny actually says the real chain. Uh, she's thinking of it as like, oh, I have to wear um, William's cross with Edmund's thing. That'll fit perfectly. It's the real 
chain, which of course is wordplay because mm-hmm. not only do we have the slavery subplot going on, but it's chains of love, right? She's chained to Edward. And I yeah. always thought it was so striking that they only refer to Henry's uh, gift as, uh, or Mary Crawford and fake Henry's, secret Henry's gift as a necklace. Mm-hmm. And I was, I was thinking to myself, well, how are they differentiating between necklace and chain? And it's, yeah. I think it's at least partly semantic, the reason that she did that. But it's like a way for Henry to own her, to like have, she's wearing his necklace. And yes. Because he wants to like take her and put her on his, she wants, he wants to take pretty Fanny and put her, put her on his pretty estate and like, and it will improve his estate. Like he wants to improve Southerton. Oh yeah. Oh my gosh. Oh damn. Wow. Yeah. Like he wants to like own a piece of her. Anyway, that was a segue about jewelry um well that explains why she has that freak out because yeah a modern reader you're kind of like girl what is the big deal but no it is is a big deal like putting on a blazing sign pointing at yourself saying like henry crawford's girl yeah well even like in modern day i remember my mom saying to me when i was a teenager like don't accept jewelry from a guy because he'll expect something back from okay your mother is now officially adorable (laughs) (laughs) Like, the first piece of jewelry you should accept from a man is an engagement ring, she told me. Which I thought was pretty good advice, because, yeah, they ex- Henry Crawford expects something back from Fanny when he sees her wearing his necklace. Yeah, yeah but okay, I mean, that was also 150 years ago. Yeah, right? that's true. <laughs> I just want to make sure that we're clear. But, I mean, I don't, I'm trying to remember how a man give me jewelry that I wasn't related no, to. It, it is still, in a certain way, I mean, emotionally... It's true today. When I um, well, typically they're expensive too. Yeah, like expensive, expensive gift. When I graduated from college, um, Kevin and I had only been going out for three months, and he gave me a diamond necklace for my graduation. And um, I I wore it. Then I met his parents sometime later in his family. And I was wearing it, and um, his grandmother commented to me like. Oh, what a lovely necklace. And I said, Oh, Kevin gave this to me. And they were all like, Bah? And they like looked really close at me. <laughs> because they're like, This may, I, I got a sense that they were all thinking, This may be more serious than we thought. <laughs> oh, wow. Kevin. Yeah. Good job. Bay, are you listening? <laughs> and the answer is, of course, no. <laughs> I'm Although sorry. I shouldn't, so back his to, mom, his mom listens sometimes, so I shouldn't be so mean. Um, this is a total segue, also. But as long as we're talking about Mansfield Park and and jewelry in Mansfield Park, um, this is not exactly jewelry. But um, and Kevin pointed this out to me when he was reading the book. There's this whole thing when Fanny goes to Portsmouth of her two sisters, Susan and Betsy, fighting over the possession of a silver knife. Yeah, what's up with that? And the thing, and Kevin was asking me what's up with that. And I was always like, I thought, well, silver, it's valuable, it's shiny, you know, Betsy. They were kids and they wanted to have their cool, shiny thing. But then I started to think it is much more specific and and carefully chosen than that. Of course it is. You know, it's Austin. And when you think about the fact that silver, first of all, it's it's valuable, it's precious. It um, represents sort of like money. It's something really valuable. Mm -hmm. It's also a knife. 
which sort of can be used to sever and it's causing familial strife. It is actually mm-hmm. cutting the relationship between Susan and Betsy and, 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 and sort of making them at each other's throats over this valuable possession, which is what's going on all through the book is people grappling and wanting money or not having money. Mm-hmm. And, and how so to sever connections. So what you're saying is Danny's sister's, are ninjas. <laughs> that's mostly what I'm saying. They're fighting over okay. the silver that's, that's what I'm hearing. That's what I'm hearing. That's what I'm choosing to hear. And I like it. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I kind of just thought it was um, a metaphor, you know, for silver, you know, money to be severing mm-hmm. family relationships or causing strife within families. Yeah, because that's the whole thing between Fanny and her rich relations is that they're rich and she's not yes that's what cuts them you know and 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 sir Uh thomas is sort of trying to cut her cord to you know cut her off from from this uh wealth that she has enjoyed Mm -hmm. and a silver knife to threaten her and 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 intimidate her interesting (laughs) i want you to know that i'm holding back right now from singing the gloria stefan pop classic cuts both ways i don't think i even know that song Oh my god! I w- you want me to sing it to you for some. <laughs> you can edit it out. You can edit this out. I never edit your singing. Okay. Cuts both ways. Your love is like a knife. Cuts both ways. It's driven deep into my heart each time. I can't remember the next line. Cuts both ways. Beautiful. It's beautiful. First well, CD I okay. ever bought was Gloria Stefan. Get on your feet. Well, anyway, there, anyway, there you go. so I just anyway. I have one more point. I promise, and okay. I'm done. Um, and it's about hair jewelry, which I found kind of gross and weird. Um, but then I looked it up because um, in Sense and Sensibility, there's this, um, there, there's a couple of exchanges of hair. Marianne and Willoughby yes. exchange locks of hair, and the the ring, right? And then Ed- Edward Ed- Ferris has ring. a ring. Yeah. yeah. So hair jewelry could be given as a token of affection between relatives as well as between lovers. So um, you, a woman couldn't receive hair jewelry from a woman she wasn't engaged to, again, with the jewelry, but she could receive a lock of hair as long as it wasn't set in jewelry. Um, so like Jane Austen has a lock of hair from her father that she preserved in a brooch. And then um, in her will, she wills pieces of hair to her friends interesting yeah i saw a picture of one it's actually kind of pretty it's done like in a like a tiny braid and then wrapped around and then in a brooch i mean it makes sense it's a renewable resource it's something personal yeah the person you can't really afford jewelry is super expensive you know um yeah yeah so i think it makes sense fake jewelry um so anyway um Edward Ferris has this ring of Lucy Steele's that's got her hair in it. And that's like a symbol of their engagement because she gave him this jewelry and then he's wearing it publicly. That but, always surprised me why he yeah, would wear it. Cause they're supposed around. to be keeping it secret. Yeah. I mean, he tells people it's his sisters, but it's pretty ballsy of him to show up. With a ring. Well, I suspected that he was wearing it to remind himself. I was just going to say oh. that. To be like, no, no, I'm engaged. Remember, dummy, you're engaged. <laughs> yeah. 
feel like he it, yeah. he couldn't write it on his palm with his right. quill pen. Oh, Ellen, right. <laughs> like, oh, right, right. I forgot. <laughs> I forgot that I was engaged. <laughs> well, he does seem to forget. Yeah, he does. Yeah, the jewelry was a like a, a kind of ostentatious sign of well, and I mean, it's still ostentatious. <laughs> It, it still kind of is. Nailed it. <laughs> God, Maggie. And on Thank that you. note, we should probably, unless anyone has anything else burning, they're burning to say, on that note, we should probably, anybody have any? Well, we have to do our usual, We have, yeah, we have to do our usual, you know, sum up. Well, I would just like to thank Bethany. Yes. For being our special guest star slash research monkey intern did all really the work. Can't oh. thank you enough, Bethany. Yeah. For having, thank you for having me on. Thank you for indulging Absolutely. me. Absolutely. Thank you for listening. I mean, it's very cool to be able yeah. to talk to someone who, in person who just found the podcast and really enjoys it. Because, you know, we're just like two goofy people who just do this for fun. So it's really... It's just record it's really, ourselves. <laughs> yeah. It's just really cool that people enjoy it and are as into Austin as we are. And I can't believe it's been a year. I know. Uh, I can't believe this is our, what, 17th episode. It's I know. astonishing. I rarely have the, the attention span to stick with anything this long. I know. <laughs> <laughs> um, so do we need to go see what's in at the, uh, down the lane, Kristen, at the Wheat Chief? At the Wheat Chief. <laughs> um, uh, there is um, one, one small note that we have from the Wheat Chief. Um, our longtime listener, TJ, did write us about our most, most recent past episode, Sense and Sensibility, the movie review, um, to let us know that the dog that Fanny um, Dashwood is holding in that movie is not a Jack Russell Terrier, but is instead an Italian Greyhound. So we apologize for the error. We're duly correcting it. <laughs> I don't apologize. <laughs> <laughs> Um, no, th th we are not living in a post-fact world, Margaret, as much as you would love to think. Post-truth, Kristen. Post-truth. Post-truth. That was the word that was added to the dictionary this year. Post-truth. Really? That's two words that, that are already there. I was it's a, It has a hyphen. Yeah, whatever. It was a cute dog. But thank you for the correction. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, he actually used to show Italian greyhounds, and so obviously that How probably... How fascinating. I know. Um, wow. So Best in Show is his favorite movie. Yeah, clearly. We should, I should, I should watch that. Okay. Um, anything else? I, I think that's it. I, I was definitely still planning to thank Bethany again. And, um, Effusive thanks and praise, of course. Okay, guys. All right. Well, we'll go ahead and call it a night then. Thank you for listening. Yes. Thank you, everyone. Bethany, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, thank you for having me on. Absolutely. Talk You're welcome you. back anytime you would like within reason. <laughs> because remember whose name is on the podcast. <laughs> I, might, I might need to email you again because I need to talk to somebody about Henry Crawford. But anyway. You can email us talk. anytime you want. Now you, have our, now you have our like Skype information and our Google <laughs> Hangouts. You can, you can call us up. 
I'll try to use that just... information for good and not evil. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, yeah, what have we got going on? I did just reread Mansfield Park from the part about the necklace to the end because when I looked up the necklace stuff, then I just started reading it, and then I just read it to the yeah. end. And I was so much more invested in Edmund and Fanny than normal. I was so much more feeling the love and and feeling that they were a romantic couple with actual chemistry. So I really enjoyed that this time around. Well, Kristen, I adore you. I'm I'm Um, three quarters of the way through, and I just am kind of falling in love with Henry Crawford. I I need someone to talk me out of it. Yeah, no, I'm. You know what? I wasn't I the Henry Crawford apologist? Or no, I was the apologist for uh, what's his name, the jerk from Emma. Oh yeah. Sorry, Frank never mind. But everybody likes a bad boy. Don't feel bad about like yeah. I, I, had to, I had to text my friend and get her to talk me down, and like she had to remind me that you know to compare him to Mr. Darcy, and then I was like, no, you're right. You're totally. Yeah, but right. you know, there's something to be said for a man who knows what he wants and is not afraid to go out and get it. The freaks of a cold-blooded vanity is what Henry Crawford indulges in. He just like us in this podcast. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Absolutely right. But that's exactly what's supposed to happen, Bethany. That is what's so amazing about this book is that you do fall in love with Henry Crawford. I mean, she does take you right to the precipice, you know, and and then when it all bursts upon you, um, uh, you know, his bad decision to not go down to Everingham and to flirt with Mariah, and then it all goes south. I mean, that's just happenstance. That's just what accidentally happens because he totally would have married Fanny. She Mm -hmm. totally would have married him. And eventually, yeah. Yeah, voluntarily, it says. And we don't. And then it would have created a whole other timeline. And a whole other timeline where. Maybe, maybe I'll write that happy. book. I don't think they ultimately would have been happy. Even Mary Crawford says um, to, to Henry Crawford, she says, I know that uh, when you cease to love, when you get you will tired still of her, yeah. find within you yeah. the liberality and good breeding of a gentleman. And so mm-hmm. Mary is also already anticipating this when you cease to love your wife sort of thing where you become bored with her. Yeah. Um, and she can, she, I don't think she would have been as happy. Henry Crawford. Okay. Anyway, I just have a lot of okay. feelings. Okay, that was great. Thank you, Kristen. Okay. Was- anyway, that <laughs> no, was great. No, right. I'm not. I'm not being sarcastic. I swear. Like that's that's why I love doing this podcast with Kristen because she'll just have these like brilliant insights. That I have talk to about. Mm-hmm. revise my previously stated opinions all the time, but that's the truth. Whenever you reread, that's Austin. that's the beauty of Austin is you yeah. just see different things every time. Every single. I'm going. I'm going. It's to like a parfait. Books. It's a literary parfait. <laughs> got layers. I'm going through all the books for, for this class, and it's like, man, I see different things than I – maybe I'm just older and in a different place. And yeah, I, but that's but, great too, right? When you read it as a young woman or whoever, like whatever you are when you're yeah. reading it. Then as you age, things take a different perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, like when I was when I first read um, Sense and Sensibility, I was like, oh, look Like yeah. it's, it, he's okay. so like, you know, like very Marianne-ish. And then later you're like, girl, nope. <laughs> Okay, and so that will be the end of the podcast now. Anyway. Making that ridiculous statement. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and on that note, right. goodbye, everybody, and thank you once again for listening. Bye. Thank Bye. you.